Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. First off, I'd like to give a huge thank you to all of my patrons for supporting the show and making it possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my link tree or by heading to patreon.com slash hn, the number two, DM. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information. Another quick announcement that's super exciting. My friend Matthew and I, as I've told you before, have been working on a two hot one shot which is a one-shot Kickstarter project. It involves spicy food and some fun homebrew rules. It's gonna be a lot of fun and uh, I'm really excited to share it with you all. So it's been approved by Kickstarter. All you need to do is head to my link tree and it'll be the first link in my link tree, um, the project page. So you can go there, you can click notify me on the launch and then we'll send you an email as soon as it's launched. But yeah, the more interest we can drum up, the more people we can get to follow the project and to share the project with other people, the better it's gonna be. So I really want to you know, broaden my content creation horizons and this is kind of my first step, my first attempt into doing this is uh, this two hot one shot, trying my hand at some game design. So yeah, I'd love to have you all follow it if you could. And then when it comes out, you know, I'll be announcing that. And I'd love it if you guys would consider throwing a few dollars at it and playing it at home with your own friend group or playing it online with your own friend group. That'd be awesome. Uh, Again, that's in my link tree. It'll be the first link. Thanks so much for indulging me, taking a little bit of time out of your day to do that means a lot. And uh, if you would also share it with your followers or friends and family, that would mean a lot as well. Okay, now let's get to this week's guest intro. Ron Ogden is best known as a cast member and now co-DM of the beloved actual play stream, The Dungeon Run. Longtime listeners will remember back in season one, I had the pleasure of talking to the first season's DM, Jeff Kanata. Ron has taken over the reins for season two along with another cast member, and they added a bunch of new faces as well to their cast. Ron also dips his toes into other content creation like TikTok, mini painting, and game design, among other things. We chat about his nerdy origins and all of the different projects he's put countless hours into since getting back into the hobby. Ron also delivered on Quickfire Chaos with perhaps the most immersive random role-playing to date. Enjoy. Hello, uh, my name is Ron Ogden. I am a live play DM for the Dungeon Run. I also run a company. I am the CEO of a company called the Dungeon Society. Additionally, I do some work uh, in startup field outside of uh, TTRPGs and D&D. I am a jack of all trades, master of none, but still better than a master of one. That's often kept off of that particular saying. So I have a lot of experience in a lot of different things, not a lot of depth other than in like programming. I'm a programmer by trade. I recently got married, so I'm lucky there. Someone decided that they would spend the rest of their life with me, and I think they're insane, but I also agreed with them, so why not? (laughs) That's how it goes. It is. It's always (laughs) that way, right? Yeah. So my TTRPG D&D backstory in high school, I was in Georgia, and I was in Augusta, Georgia, which is kind of a during the latter end of the satanic panic. 
So D and D was a big no, no then. Especially deep South. I'm sure. Oh yeah. uh... Deep South man was a big no, no. We literally (laughs) got told that we couldn't play magic, the gathering at lunchtime in school. Wow. In school, in high school, we could not play magic, the gathering during lunchtime because it included vampires and those kind of things. Did we listen to them? Of course not, because we were going to play it anyway. <laughs> right. I would say I'm surprised, but seeing like the books they're banning in Florida and Texas and stuff these days, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised. You yeah. shouldn't be. I did not have the best childhood. My childhood was very rough. And so a lot of the time was spent at school because that was the place I was not at home. And so if I wasn't playing Magic the Gathering with some friends at lunchtime, then I was in the library reading mythologies. Greek and Roman, Norse, Egyptian. I mean, anything I could get my hands on, Indian, any of it, Native American, any of it, I I read as much of it as I could. I was fascinated by this concept of gods and goddesses and how that could be a thing if this world is the way it is. And it just taught me that, oh, okay, my home life is not new. That's been happening for thousands of years. So a friend of mine by the name of Nathan Grabiel, and Nathan, if you're listening, thank you. He convinced me and another friend of mine that we were going to buy something off this new website called eBay. It was a brand new website that dates me a bit, I'm sure. (laughs) Like 90s, I was 16. It was 97 when I was 16. We bought a big pack that somebody was just selling all of their AD&D stuff. And so we split it three ways and Nathan ran our first game for us which was more of like chain mail, more like, um, you know, war gaming than it was storytelling or what D right. has become, but I was hooked. So when I got into college, I had some friends who were like, Hey, we, we want to play D and D. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'd love to play D and D. I've got the AD. I got some AD and D books. Let's play. Well, nobody wanted to be the DM. So <laughs> I was the one with the books and therefore I became the DM and it did not go that well. To start off, uh, honestly, it did not go all that well uh, as a DM. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I was running it more like, <laughs> more like I was a god and could do what I want. And that's not fun to play with, right? Like, I should have known that having read so much about the gods that when you treat people that way, they just don't like that. <laughs> so that's, you know, pretty much my DD backstory. I'm not surprised that that was kind of the way you thought you were supposed to run games. I mean, I guess you hadn't seen a ton of examples. It was mostly your friends, but that's very much like an older, an old school mentality, right? Like, I have everything, you have nothing, you know, like, bow to me. I don't know. Every old DM seems to have a god complex for some reason. (laughs) Anyway. I think that comes into, like, again, reading about the gods and just, you know, games then were a little different than games are now. And it was more about what cool things I could put in front of you and then watch you suffer kind of thing. It had its place in that date and time. You know, it had that its place. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I love that you were into mythology because I was fascinated when we covered that stuff um, in world history. You know, like I started doing a bunch of my own learning and research too when we hit that just because it was so interesting. I loved the fact also that there were so many similarities in all of these different stories for example like native american mythology has like flood stories you know and and stuff like that like across the world everyone has such similar stories and i don't know like there's something there i'm not going to comment on on what it is but it's it's just interesting to me 
For me, I'm going to comment on that. There's a yeah. lot of water on the planet and true, people don't know true. where it comes from. And when it starts to flood, you go, well, somebody made that happen and they clearly don't like us. So <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I guess we better stop what we were doing kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I, I mean, you know, the, like lightning and stuff, there's always gods and goddesses of lightning and all of the natural elements that you would experience. So I guess yeah. that's not as surprising to me, but anyway. You said that your first DMing experience was a little bit rough, so I'd love to either dig into that more or dig into just other mistakes that you feel like you've made, as this is How Not to DM. you know, Please share with us some good examples from your time running games. I'm sure uh, you've heard this plenty of times on other guests, but don't try to force people to do things they don't want to do. It's that simple. Like, Just don't do that. It's not good. It's not fun for them. It's not fun for you. It might be fun for you if you're sadistic, but when you realize that people don't like it, you start to not feel so good about yourself. So I was in college, had a group of friends that I met that wanted to play, and I ran a single session, and it did not go well. I could not tell why people weren't having fun. I get a, a real good idea that it was because they weren't getting to do the things that they wanted to do. And there's a lot of deus ex machina, you know, a lot of that. And look, there's nothing wrong with a little deus ex machina. There are plenty of stories that use it and it, you, they use it well, but make sure you're using it in a way that is moving the story forward rather than I put myself into a corner and now need to fix it. And this is the only way I know how. Right. I like the the examples where it's paying off something that the party has done before now, right? Like, hey, you did X, Y, and Z, and now these people come to help you because you've done something. I don't know. That's, that's just a, one example, but yeah, I agree with Well, you. the gods rewarding you for good behavior or for doing something heroic is great, right? That's a good form of deus ex machina. But to just uh, all of a sudden, you're in the middle of a story and boom, a god is there and you get you don't have any saves and you don't get to do anything. Not really get that great. Not thing you want to do. So I learned pretty quickly, it's a collaborative storytelling situation. And I got better at that as I started to study improv in college and realized that, oh, I see. I don't need to be the center of attention. I just need to be a part of the center of attention. And that's traded off. Sometimes I am the center of attention. Sometimes your party is. Sometimes one person in your party is. I learned to share the spotlight was probably the best thing that I needed to learn. And that just becomes from growing up in a sheltered, overly controlled environment and needed to learn that just by having people be very patient with me and having the, the forgiving nature of also explaining why. So I was very lucky in that way. Like you said, a few other people have given that piece of advice, but I feel like the flavor from your own experiences is the thing that really helps people learn from it. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. As far as good stuff that's happened in your games or, you know, while you were a player, even what are some of your favorite memories of fun stuff that's happened at the table or really emotional or meaningful stuff? That is just a good example of the magic of tabletops. There were some games, college and post-college that I played for multiple years, six to 10, same campaign, same DM, same, you know, sometimes the groups change because people go and they move or uh, they just get tired of the, playing the game or, or whatever it is that life gets in the way. But some of the best experiences I've had have been deep, truly connected role play. Some of that at the table, but I, I experienced a lot of that in actually live action role playing, LARPing, where a common phrase was keep it in play. 
So drama, that kind of stuff was always kept within the character's viewpoint. And you get some really interesting storytelling when that's happening, right? Like when you exist as a character for multiple years or for multiple days at a time, you learn a lot about a character and you learn a lot about decision-making as a character and you learn a lot about what they care about, what they don't care about. Largely a lot of understanding of my own characters was like, do I really care about this right now? And if I don't, why don't I, why don't I care about this as a character? So a lot of that was because I had good storytelling DMS DMS who were focused on telling a good story but only in so much as that the characters went the way they decided to go. So I had a very good experience in observing other DMs do well. Rob Moran is a friend of mine still, one of the best DMs even to this day. Jeff cannot obviously being, uh, I would say, tied. They're both very, very good in storytelling. And giving, allowing me to make choices that were bold or maybe not the normal choice was always really helpful for me because sometimes I have really insane ideas and I want to see what happens and I'm okay that I get to suffer the consequences. And I think if you watch season one of the dungeon run, I made that very clear a few times to Jeff is like, I'm okay with the consequences of this choice. Right. Cause this is what I go would do kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But not in a murder hobo way. (laughs) Right. Right. In a way that had meaning that had depth to it rather than just, I want to do this because I want to do this. Sometimes you make choices and then find the reason I try to make that as little as possible. I mean, we do that in our daily lives, right? People make choices on the drop of a dime and then try to wrap their head around like, well, why did I just do that? I, you know, I just reacted in the moment. Why did I react that way? I try to do that in character form as well. And any NPC I play all that kind of stuff. At the very least, I try to, especially if I'm giving time and it's not something that we have to do right now, I'm constantly thinking like, okay, and it's not even a third person thought. There's a funny thing. I was talking with some friends the other day. The question came up, Hey, whenever you improvise or when you play a character, do you like blackout is the way the person put it. And it got me really excited because that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody put it that way. And that's how I experience things sometimes. Like mm. many of the times that I play Uggo, especially the ones that were high adventure or high drama, I don't really recall because I wasn't really there. I'm more relying in what I have developed and felt of with Uggo. And there's a variety of ways and things that I usually do in order to achieve that very rare moment. You know, with Ugo, it was, I got my jaw forward, so naturally my voice changes, and my teeth hit my upper lips, so it sounds a little different. And then, you know, you drop it and talk guttural, and I don't know, why are we doing this? So for me, those kind of mannerisms and finding the character quirks or things that really bring you to that character quickly. You know, some people it's eye movement. Some people it's fidgeting. There's a lot of different things that you can employ to get to that level. But for me, it was the jutting the jaw forward and tapping into what anger is and really understanding because I understand anger on a personal level growing up the way I did. 
it was very easy for me to slot into that because I'd gone through enough therapy to know <laughs> like here's a healthy way to do these kind of things. So for me, it's it's that character really helps me understand story, and then it comes naturally, right? Like when I was reading things like Hercules or Bellerophon or any of these heroes of old, I'm always when I was reading them was like when they're treated like that, what are they thinking? Like what are they going through when all those things happen? Did they feel love? Were they afraid? Like, was Hercules ever afraid? I think he was. I absolutely think Hercules was probably afraid in the stories that I've read about him. So it's that kind of stuff, like really trying to dial in to the character. Hmm. I've also found that like changing the way I am positioned physically, including my voice, helps me kind of get into the NPCs that I'm playing a lot better and a lot easier. I too have had moments where like I don't remember what I have said or done as a character like afterward. I don't know if I've necessarily blacked out, but like like I've had to quiz my characters and be like, okay, now what did I tell you, you know, <laughs> and try to get it in my notes. You know, when I say blackout, it's not like I just passed out and it was like, hey, what happened? Right. It's right. more of a you lose track of time and space in yeah. the now. Yeah. Is really, I think, a better way to go about it. To say it, I mean. Yeah, it's almost like you're not creating the normal short-term memories that you do right. when you are yourself doing your normal things. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. From having run games for a while now, what in your mind makes the ideal D&D or tabletop role-playing game player at your tables? Listener. I mean, honestly, someone who's listening. It doesn't have to be retaining you know, because we all have varying degrees of being able to retain things. Some right. people write things down. I'm not a note taker. Not really my thing. Has never really been my thing. But ideal D&D players are going to be listeners. Yes, Anders. I think that's kind of a common thing. Those individuals who are looking to accept the offers they're given and grow them. And for me, I also really like what's more. Players who are like, okay, I love this, but what's more than that? I have a spike chain and I can sling it around. What's more than that? What if I put that spike chain on the end of a chain? Okay, that's more than that. You know, what if I use it as a bolo in addition to my own weapon? This kind of thing where you're taking what's given to you and upping the ante a bit. I think these make very good D&D players. There's a big push to be jokey. Yeah. And to make people laugh, especially in live play. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to say that there's anything wrong with that. I do that myself. I find moments of, of humor in things, especially after high drama. You need a little bit of laughter to get you back to a normal state. But there's something to be said about intense, dramatic role play. And I think you can see that in some of James and Ugo's interactions in the first season to the point of like, I think it's episode 15, you know, afterwards, people are like, are Ron and Morgan okay? And like, <laughs> yeah, we're fine. We're just acting. We like that drama. We like to experience that and to understand and find a story within that kind of, you know, headbutting kind of situation. Yeah, that conflict. Yeah. There's a lot that is discovered in conflict. And I feel like D&D &D is a perfect place, assuming that you're all on the same page and that you've had the right. conversations prior and that everyone understands what their lines and veils are. D&D &D is a great way to discover things that you wouldn't normally be able to discover in your regular life. And I think a D&D &D player who is listening, 
who is yes anding and is what's mooring, those are your ideal D&D players, at least for me at my tables. People who adhere to that or really want that kind of stuff, those are the kind of people I want to play with. Yeah, excellent. And now a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Fey Earth is an indie TTRPG set in an alternate 19th century Earth where every creature from folklore and fairy tale is real, have always been real, and lived alongside humanity. It is a world filled with familiar sounding creatures but with unfamiliar powers as it tries to faithfully depict the magic of our past as it was described in folklore. If you'd like to learn more about the Kickstarter, search for Fey Earth or check out the episode notes for the link. And Adventure Dice. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll recall Andrea and Blair being guests on my first season. In addition to dice and other awesome TTRPG accessories they have available on their site, right now they're accepting pre-orders and orders for their advent calendars for the holiday season. No matter what holiday you celebrate, they have an advent calendar for it. They have ones of different sizes for different numbers of days for different budgets. So go check that out and find a perfect gift for the tabletop gamer in your life for the holiday season. If you use the code HN, the number 2DM, on checkout, that's HN2DM, five characters, you can get 10% off your order and you can help support the show because I get a little percentage of your purchases as well. So go check that out. Make your orders for the holiday season through Adventure Dice. That's adventuredice.ca and help support How Not to DM while you're at it. And lastly, podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Are you a podcaster or video content creator who loves making awesome content but wishes you spent less time editing and more time doing the things you love? Check out podcasteditors.online or videoeditors.online to see their awesome rates and editing offerings. Buy a few hours a la carte or purchase bulk hours for larger projects. Let them tackle the boring stuff so you can get back to making more awesome content. Check out the links in the episode notes for both podcasters and video creators. And now let's get back to the action with Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos. This week on Quickfire Chaos. Ron and I are going to roll on some random D100 tables and create a random scenario to roleplay. The choice here for you is between city quests or kind of like countryside generic fetch quests. What sounds more interesting to roleplay today? Let's do city. Cool. I like city quests too. All right. So D100. The first one is the voice description. All right. So my first one's 90. Always ends their sentence with a giggle or odd noise. Mm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> personality trait. Personality trait is going to be 43. Hypocritical, contradicting their own beliefs, actions, or sayings. All right. Jobs. 14. Trapper. Trappers in town selling their furs and they need something done. Okay. City Quest is the last one here. 20. A rash of political assassinations has swept the city council. The only connecting thread is the same calico cat being seen at the scene. So you, for some reason, are a trapper in the city who knows about this and who knows that this calico cat has been seen, probably because you care about furs and and that kind of thing. I will play a gnome wizard. 
What is your gnome wizard's name? I will be Terran the Magnificent. I've got like the purple robes with the stars and the moons on them and everything and the pointy hat. You know, I'm all decked out. Terran the Magnificent, you are on your way back to your tower from some research you were doing today. And you end up staying a little bit later in the library than maybe you would have liked, especially considering all of the deaths that have been occurring in the city recently. But you find yourself taking some side streets to stay away from the more well-traveled places at night. You feel you can handle yourself. You're a wizard. And as you round one of the corners in some of these back alleys, you can hear a little bit of water dripping from a recent rain. And it seems that ticking, tink, click, tink, click, catches your eye as you see a calico cat jump out from one of the cellars of an inn that you're passing by, the back end of the inn that you're passing by. Your eyes are drawn towards, with that tink, click, tink, to the cat. You notice that it rubs up against a dark figure who seems to be sitting in a box where he seems to be rummaging through some things in the back. And as the cat rubs up against this dark figure's leg, it drops a hood and you see two large cat ears poking out from underneath. And this tabaxi turns to you and says, mm, Hello, <laughs> my name is Jack. <laughs> they call me Calico, Jack. You seem to have lost your way. Uh, uh, yes, uh, I was... Uh, uh, my hat's kind of like falling over my eyes a little bit. Uh, uh, yes, I was uh, attempting to avoid the uh, more traveled thoroughfares as uh, because, you know, uh, because of the deaths that have been happening lately. I didn't mean to stay out this late either. Uh, it's, it's getting dark. Uh, well, uh, great to meet you, Jack. And I start backpedaling. Oh, yeah. I should probably be uh, Before going. you go, friend, <laughs> I would like... Um, I would like to have a word. I also do not like to be in the dark backwoods and, and uh, avenues of taverns and cities unknown, but um, I find myself um, at a impasse. I'm in search of a very rare, <laughs> rare animal. A monster, uh, some might say, yes. Um, and uh, you, uh, with your uh, hat, I could assume, uh, appear to be of the magical arts. Am I correct? <laughs> Taren's chest puffs out a little bit at the mention of magical arts. Oh, why, yes, I studied at the uh, local uh, wizard's college, uh, uh, top of my class. And I kind of tilt my hat back a little bit. Um... A monster, you said? Oh, what sort of monster are you uh, looking for? Well, <laughs> as you um, may have heard, um, the very reason you're taking these back streets, uh, I am searching for the killer. <laughs> I um, have, a, let's say, a, a personal interest in the political assassinations. My friends or acquaintances. <laughs> Details are not important, but they have gone um, missing and are dead. And I believe that I have found um, the culprit. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, and 
I... Um, explains why I'm here in the dark, um, by myself, in the behind this lovely tavern. <laughs> I'm looking for them, and I happen to believe that maybe you, or your kind, may be able to help. So it's rather fortuitous that you are here. <laughs> well, I have seen the reward poster posted about town. Uh, uh, 10,000 uh, pieces of gold is quite the sum. Um, uh, yes, and, and I if would you like to have share that with you. I, I'm not one to say no to, to a few pieces of, of gold, no. Uh, well, uh, what, what sort of lead do you have, friend, that I can assist you with? Well, in every um, experience that I've had with one of my friends who's gone missing, there's a bit of cloth left behind, hmm. and it seems to smell of catnip. <laughs> And uh, as you can see, uh, and he pulls a, a small cloth bit from the box that he was searching through, uh, I happen to have some of it here. And he takes a big whiff. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite delightful. And he holds it down for the calico that's still rubbing up against his shins. And the calico cat itself seems to respond to it much like a cat you would experience with catnip. And he holds it out aloft to you for me mm -hmm. i'll approach and extend my hand up and take the piece and with his other hand just as you're about to grab it he grabs your wrist okay <laughs> and he looks at you and he says now you're not a shapeshifter are you ah uh, uh, no uh, this is my uh, appearance i i Good. promise i have reason to believe that this monster <laughs> can take the forms of other animals and other people and they have a telltale sign on their wrist and he pulls down a little bit of your sleeve to see on your wrist and he looks at your wrist and says oh it appears you are telling the truth you are not this shape shifter <laughs> oh no of, of course not uh, i was kind of like trying to pull my wrist away no no of course not i i have no reason to lie to you um uh, right uh this has made me a bit uneasy but uh what what is the uh what is the plan that you have uh formulated jack well, I've led. I was led here by this uh, cloth that you now see and can sense, and um, I believe. And he points to a small wooden door across the way from the inn that seems to be some sort of abandoned building, maybe an old warehouse. And the door is just slightly ajar, and you can see that there's a small light coming from inside. He says, "I'm pretty sure that." <laughs> The monster, excuse me, the person we are looking for is within those doors. Well, The I... trapper, you see. Hmm, yes. And I'm a bit of a, a different kind of trapper, you might say. I don't trap animals. I don't trap um, uh, beasts. I trap evil. Mm, and sometimes, uh, to trap evil, one must know evil. 
Uh, well, uh, it kind of like started <laughs> pulling at my collar a little bit. Oh, well, uh, <clears throat> uh, I suppose you have a few tricks up your sleeve. Are you wanting to make a full frontal assault, or shall we uh, go quietly about this? Well, given your arcane nature, I think it might be best if you were to mm, draw them out. I think I have a few tricks up my sleeve that would do just that. Well, uh, Jack, you set the traps, and uh, let's get ready for this. Uh, uh, I suppose we should wait until nightfall, but I have a good feeling about this. Oh, yes. well, good thing it is twilight upon us now. I will set myself above uh, above the doorway there with my any clinks his claws. Uh, as you may well know, we tabaxis can climb a good bit. Um, I'm going to climb above. Make some noise, some uh, fancy lights, and let's see what appears. Are you ready? Uh, I am ready, yes. Hold my wand aloft. Jack climbs up and literally sort of backwards with his head facing the ground seems to be connected to the wall and waiting yeah. for your lights i will use uh magic missile i'll, I'll throw a couple of darts at the door and just thump, 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 like you know kind of make a knocking sound at it and yeah. then kind of get into the dark of the alley and, and prepare like hold person or something perfect perfect yeah so as you launch those three magic missiles at the door thump, 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 each one sort of opening the door a little more and a little more you can see the source of light and through the door you see two cat ears Ah. inside and it comes running to the door and what you see is an exact copy of Jack and they grab the doorway and they say who's out there who they spy you and just as they spy you what do you want down comes Jack with both of his knives straight into the back haunches of this person's shoulders. And as he does so, his skin begins to change from tabaxi. I knew it. <laughs> to one of a doppelganger. Yeah. And as he pulls the knives from the bodies and he tosses them at you, he says, thank you. <laughs> and he darts off into the darkness. I'm an accomplice. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that handled, uh, you know, the hypocritical oh, yeah. part was the hard one to find. I know. And I know. that's the one I wanted there at the end was that's the hypocrite. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, man. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I always love playing like those. Can I trust them? Can I not? Definitely can't trust this person but they're not threatening me and they're not really like maybe lots of gold. Right. I do remember that there was a lot of gold for this quest. So, you know, it's that kind of thing where it was just fun to play and see you respond. I love seeing uh, players respond to that kind of character of like, well, uh, yeah, I got to go, but well, hold on. You know, those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. so it's a lot of fun. You got to draw them in. Yeah. I That's love right. it. Cool. The dungeon run. We've talked about yes. it a handful of times um, thus far. And uh, those who've been listening to the show for a while will recall that Jeff Kanata, um, the DM of the first season, was one of my guests in my first season. Shout out to Jeff. Thank you so much for being willing to chat with an up-and-coming podcaster at the time. But yeah, uh, he and I kind of talked about like how the first campaign started and stuff. So um, I'd love to hear about all of the side stuff that you've all been working on since the end of, of um, campaign one and kind of during it. 
and then also the prep and the lead up to your current campaign, campaign two. A lot has happened in Jeff's life. He had to step away, which we totally understand. It was unfortunate. It was sad. We really enjoyed season one, but all great stories come to an end and we know that. So it was hard, but it also gave us an opportunity to grow. And one of the things I really like just in my own personal life is that life is difficult. Life throws a lot of strange things at you. This is true in real life as it is in D&D life, but how you respond to those things, how you choose to view what happens to you, I think really sets the tone for who you are as a person. And so for me, it's a matter of how can I grow? How can I learn? How can I take what's happening and make myself better or make the things around me better? And so one of the first things that we realized was, well, we want to continue the dungeon run. The rest of us were still very much on board, still very much loved what we are doing and still do to this day. Yeah. Luckily, we're yeah. very lucky. We have a great fan base. And so, you know, there was a real conversation about like, well, okay, do we have the same players and find a new DM? Does one of us DM? And pretty early on, you know, Jared and I, it's not always clear because Jared and I have private lives, but for a while, while we were in season one, Jared and I were playing in a game together outside of the dungeon run that I was running and it included Jared. It included Adam Slemon, who is now playing Cristobal in season two and some other of our friends. And we were just running, you know, I wanted to run out of the abyss, D&D's official campaign setting in the Underdark. I'm fascinated with the Underdark. I love the Underdark. I have always loved the Underdark. And there's a lot of good things about out of the abyss. And there's a lot of bad things about out of the abyss as with any story, but I was really fascinated with, well, how do you run starting at level two or three out of the underdark? Like, how do you do that? Like, how does that work? So Jared introduced me to his role-playing friends and we started off and we were having a blast. And so during that process, Jared and I became very close because I'm DMing for him regularly twice a month in addition to my own home game that I was running twice a month. And, you know, when you play D&D with people for a good length of time, you get to know them well. You talk about things in between sessions. Uh, you talk about things while you're in sessions, while you're waiting for your turn to go. So Jared and I became very close. And our interactions between with Siv and, and Ugo, clearly also you could tell there was some camaraderie and understanding of one another in terms of players. And so, you know, I pitched pretty early to Morgan, Jared, Jessica, Katie, the crew. Hey, what if we did two DMs? Because here's the thing. The way that Jeff DMs is pretty unique, right? That's yeah. Jeff's unique nature as a DM is incredible. He's a true novelist, what I would like to call a novelist DM. He's got a pretty good story and understanding of an overarching world. And then how do I fit the characters and their choices within the world that I've built? And then adapting his own works to that. That kind of DMing is a lot of work. And kudos to Jeff to be able to do that. I know the team he had behind him while he was doing it before we left Caffeine really helped him do that and be able to do all the other things in his life. But when we left Caffeine, he had to do that all on his own. And we learned pretty quickly, I'm not that kind of DM. I'm not <laughs> going to be able to do that. Again, kudos to Jeff. Superhuman, that person. He is incredible. And it's because he works really hard at it. 
And so I'm just not that I'm not a novelist DM like that. It just doesn't work for me. I'm more of a improviser DM. I like to improvise. I like to take what is brought up in the moment, right? We're using the moment to grow the story together. Not that Jeff didn't do that. Just his was more of a, I have a pretty cool idea of an understanding of what I want to tell and where we can go with it. And then fitting again, the character's choices around that. So I pitched pretty early to them. What if we brought in new players? Cause we wanted to bring in some diversity to the group. We didn't get a chance to do that in our own choices during the caffeine process. So now that we had control, we really wanted that. We wanted some diversity of viewpoint to come into the group. And so one of the best ways to do that was to open up another player seat. And that would be yeah. easy by having two DMS. So I was like, Hey, plus we can split responsibilities. I already do 3D printing and painting, so I'll handle minis and maps and all that kind of stuff. And Jared can handle other things. Like, um, Really, our biggest splits are I do minis and maps, and he does force cards and that kind of stuff. And then the rest of it, we can work together. I handle a lot of the gods and goddesses, and he handles a lot of the political intrigue. And then we each have our own like pilot, co-pilot DM style. Every five episodes, we swap seats where in the last five episodes, I've kind of been pilot and he's been co-pilot and co-pilot does like running of combats, creation of enemy characters that you need in the combats and that kind of stuff. Whereas the pilot is more of the storyteller in that moment and driving the story. The beautiful part about working with Jared is that we have now been friends for so long and we have similar tastes in D and D and experiences in D and D. It's very easy to work with him because we have the same ideas almost. We do get to one up each other and like, oh, what about this? And what about that? What about this? So the lead up to campaign two was realizing that was that, all right, we're in good hands with each other because I can trust Jared to take concepts that I might think of and make them better and the same in reverse. I can take concepts that Jared's have thought up and like, ooh, what if we did this? And what if we did that? And I think you see a lot of that in the current campaign, especially with Lumbra, especially with Bahatha, all these, these gods that, we, that I have kind of created and Jared has helped build. We work really well together. And I think that's just because we are friends outside of the job that we do. And that's where we kind of did it backwards, where we were hired to do a job and then became good friends, all of us. Rather than like critical role where they were all good friends and then it became their job. And I think that's just the unique nature of our situation. Quick story I have about Jared that I love, like made me love him almost immediately. We were sitting in the room when we first got hired in caffeine. And one of the things was Jared made it very clear. He's like, look, playing D&D with someone is vulnerability, right? you put yourself in a vulnerable situation because you're dealing with emotions. You're dealing with things that can be difficult to play, you know, that kind of st stuff. And Jared was one of the first to speak up and say, like, I just like to know who you guys are. And like, let's discuss some things about D and D because I just need to feel comfortable. And you could tell it was one of those, like he's managing anxiety. And yeah. I think him saying that out loud really got us all on board pretty quick because you could tell we were all feeling that the, Casting process was very, very difficult. It was a lot of fun, but it was difficult and it was anxiety driven. All of that to say, like, because we became friends leading up into campaign two was much easier than I imagined. 
and we are now seeing that rewards. We have some videos of us creating the map for both islands for the current season. And that was just a blast. He came over, you know, a couple times late at night and we'd be up until like 11 or midnight, just rolling dice and joking around and like, oh, what about this? And what about that? Ooh, oh no. Well, that might not work, but here and there. And that whole process is pretty much, I think, how the entire thing gets done. Because Morgan and Jessica and Katie and now Adam and Carrie and Serena all sort of have slotted in pretty easily in that environment as well. So, yeah. In the middle of um, building something with my friend who plays at my tables, Matthew, and uh, just the way you're describing how you two are like playing off each other and one-upping each other, that's very much how our brainstorming and planning sessions go. Like, you know, while we're writing stuff, we're like, oh, what about this? And ooh, what about that? And yeah, it's just, I don't know. There's something so fun about planning stuff with somebody else because I found that running games alone is kind of isolating. And also my wife plays in my games, so I can't talk to her about anything. You know, I can't bounce ideas off her. I can't say, I can't share stuff I'm exciting or excited about. I can't, you know, bring problems to her because, you know, I don't know. I just don't want to break that immersion. I totally understand in my, my home game, my now wife also plays in that game and it's a demigod campaign. So they're all demigods. They've awoken. They realize now that they are divine beings. And there's so much intrigue and because it, it spans a bunch of time that I want to bounce ideas off of her, but I just can't. And having someone like that in a creative session, and, and not just in D&D, in my experience, it works in comedy, it works in drama. Having a strong secondary partner to work with, I have found makes my storytelling even better. You know, I have a theory about most star systems are binary star systems in the universe. And so I think pairing like that is sort of natural, right? It's an echo of the energy that exists in our universe. So just to, you know. Yeah. Cue John Williams' binary sunset as the sun yeah. set on Tatooine. Please don't come after me, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I love the dungeon run. Uh, the changes you've made for season two have been a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm glad that you all decided to keep going. Like you said, you've got a ton of really committed fans. and a lot of interesting stories to tell. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah. You also mentioned that you are a CEO of the Dungeon Society. So tell us a little bit about that and maybe some of the projects you're working on currently with the Dungeon Society. So as I told you, I did a lot of LARPing and a lot of my LARPing friends were also my D&D friends. And so when the pandemic hit, I've studied a lot of autoimmune diseases. My mother has lupus. And because mm. she does, I, since a kid, was very fascinated by the immune system and how all this stuff works. And so when we started having problems with the bird flu and the swine flu, I started doing a lot of research, especially I was in Model UN and, and I did a lot of uh, national championships in UN, Model UN. And you learn a lot about problems that the world goes through when you study that kind of stuff. And one of the things I early learned about and was fascinated by was epidemics and pandemics. Yeah. And so when the pandemic hit, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, I kind of had an understanding of, okay, we're not prepared for this. It's going to be a long time. I didn't think as long as it was, but I thought, you know, at least a year. And I was, you know, sharing this information with people as I could and trying to understand like, guys, if it's contagious, like it is, we're going to be stuck inside for a long time. And so one of the things I did was pick up mini painting at the beginning of pandemic. I kind of picked it up and 
when I realized that you could print stuff at home and so easily, I was like, well, man, now that we're on the dungeon run, like I've been DMing for 20 plus years. I've written a bunch of stuff on my own. Why not try to do that? And I've got artist friends and I've got friends that are good at marketing and I've got friends that all sort of fit into these different categories that we would need. And so I just sort of put it out there was like, Hey friends, you know, I reached out to my friend, Chris Hayes, Chris Hayes has worked for many big companies, especially in the gaming industry, Epic blizzard, most of his time at blizzard. So he's a world, a Warcraft artist and his art, even when he was in college and we were LARPing together, when I was in college, you could tell he was destined for great things in the art community. And he's a one fantastic role player too. So when the pandemic hit, I I reached out to Hayes and was like, Hey man, so I've got this idea for at the first, it was going to be a plane of monsters book. So it's a book about monsters are made up of three parts. And those three parts all have their own sub planes inside the plane of monsters. And so the concept is a group gets trapped in the plane of monsters and they've got to figure out how to get out. And he loved the idea. And so we did some back and forth. Well, my wife, who is now our CFO, Heather, she did 15 years in doing finances for reality television. So she's very good with numbers and money and marketing. I have another friend who is a wonderful storyteller who ran a lot of the plots for our multiple hundreds of people LARP by the name of Trey Justino. And when we were starting the dungeon run, some of the fans were pretty sharp and got to know them pretty quickly. So branded nerd and who else Elliot, uh, these are fans of the original season. They also had some skills. Who else Elliot is a wonderful branding individual. Helped me brand a couple of things. Now is now our branding officer at the dungeon society. And then some, my personal friends I met, I met a, a musician and technologist at the women's March here in LA before the pandemic oh, yeah. and Christopher Perry. He is now actually the sound guy on season two. And he is our musician as well as our CTO, our chief technology officer. So I just got all these friends together and was like, hey, guys, let's make something. You know, I can't promise it's going to be big. I don't know any of that. Like, let's go through this process and see. Kickstarter is really popular. So many people are doing this. We are all very talented and have all, you know, skills in these requisite areas. So let's get together. Well, about a year into the pandemic, as we're sitting in, a, in our home, Heather and I, it was around Christmas time. We were like, what if we made a 5E advent calendar where a mini a day, you got a mini a day. I grew up in Germany because I grew up in a military family. And one of the things that was very popular in Germany were the milk chocolate advent calendars with the different delicious German chocolate, but in weird little symbols and and shapes. And during the pandemic, I bought the Lego Star Wars advent calendar. And so since as a kid, I've always been, I'm not much of a believer. I grew up as a believer, but currently, you know, I think there's more to it. And though, because there's more to it, I don't want to put a name to it. I want it to exist as it is. So for me, advent calendars became more of a fun thing to do in the holidays and share with your family. And so We thought, what if we did that? And that's essentially what the Dungeon Run came about. The Dungeon Run was, or excuse me, the Dungeon Society, apologies. And that's it. The Dungeon Society. We wanted something to, like a community. We're bringing ourselves together because we all love to play D&D and TTRPGs. 
And so, hey, let's make a 5e advent calendar. And that's what we are in the midst of. We literally launch our month out Kickstarter page in two days on October 1st, and we are launching uh-huh. on November 1st. We've been okay. working on it now for three years. We've got nine models. We have art for 25 different characters. We've got a manufacturer. We've got box art. We are in it, man. It's that's coming back from the, from my, uh, my getting married is right into the, the mix of this stuff. And so for us, it's the beauty of being together during the holidays with your families. 5e has made it so easy for people to pick up and play and really tell wonderful stories. And so we thought, Hey, let's have a box set. That's a mini a day, everything you need in the box. And on the last day is all of the other stuff, the manual, and you sit down and play together with your family. You've got everything you need. You got the maps, you got the music, you got the minis, you got the dice, you got everything you need and a compelling story that goes along with it. And this is a way to introduce, I think it's a good way to introduce families to D&D together. We also noticed there isn't one on the market. Like we are literally going to be the first to market in terms of this type of advent calendar in 5e. So our goals for the next few months and years is to launch this thing, hopefully have a successful launch. After this, we'd like to do a Halloween version. So we do like basically mm. a Halloween oh, advent calendar. So 31 that's a good days. Idea. Lots of people do one shots on Halloween, right? That'd exactly. Be exactly. Yeah. So hopefully we'd like to turn this into so that we can make one for the dungeon run uh, and other TTRPGs that are out there. Take what we've learned, our processes, all the things that we've built and start churning out more and more incredible storytelling, everything you need in the box, a dynamic tool set for DMs to play. That's really what the Dungeon Society is. (laughs) Yeah. Your timeline is you're launching November 1st? Correct. For delivery of the following year. Okay, I was going yeah. to say, that's very tight. Yes. Yeah, no, no, not a whole month. Yeah, I should have <laughs> clarified that at the beginning. Yeah, launch November 1st, our Kickstarter. We will end at the end of November, and then we have one year to get you this box set. Now, that's not going to take us a year to do. We've been doing three years of work, so we already have the story. We have most of the encounters. Most of the art is done. I'm working on the cinematic currently because we're going to be doing sort of like a parallax cinematic that goes with it for the Kickstarter. And then, you know, our manufacturers are really excited. We've got some individuals in the board game industry who've been helping us in sort of understanding like, you know, is this the proper way to go about things? Like we've never done this before. And rather than just do it blindly, let's talk to somebody who's done it and learn from them. And so James Hudson over at Druid City Games, who was introduced to me by Becca Scott. He has been instrumental in helping us understand processes and like pitfalls and stuff like that. So James Hudson has been very helpful in that. And when we told him this idea, and usually when we tell people this idea, their eyes light up, you know, this kind of like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. It's ambitious. 25 minis in a box isn't cheap. We're trying to make it mass market, so we want it to be you know affordable for the average individual, but that's going to be the Kickstarter that helps us with that. So we've gotten a lot of help from our friends in the D&D and TTRPG spaces. Got to shout out Amy Vorpal, Laser from Laser Campaigns, James Hudson, Becca Scott, so many people who've really been helping us out. It's been kind of humbling in a real way. 
you know, we were talking a little bit about this before we started the interview is like the willingness of this industry and the people in it to just help is wonderful, man. It's unheard of in other industries and I love it. Yeah, me too. I'll make sure then to grab um, your campaign landing page from you when this goes live so that people can go straight to the the episode notes, click on that, go uh, follow the Kickstarter project and be notified when it kicks off because that sounds awesome. And uh, sounds like you've got a ton of ideas about other ways to do it too. Um, So yeah, that's really exciting. Excellent. You've been making some TikToks lately that have been really funny to me and I'm sure to a lot of other people about the seven deadly deities representing the seven deadly sins. Also, uh, like a a DM's helpline where DMs are calling in in the midst of their game, like, what do I do with my players? Do you have plans to make more of those in the future? And do you feel like you're getting the hang of TikTok? You know, getting the hang of TikTok is difficult. You know, the deadly deities is a lot of work. The deadly deities is a lot of work because it's a lot of... um, after effects, which I love doing and have no problem doing it, but it's a lot of work and it's hit or miss with some of this stuff, man. And, you know, I do feel like sometimes I understand TikTok and I get it, but then other times you're like, what is going on? And I'm not alone. And I know that recently got to meet and hang out with uh, Katie Asaurus from TikTok, Uh Kate Osborne. She's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Look out for her soon on the dungeon run. Just saying, won't spoil too much. Sneak peek. Mm-hmm. Sneak peek. So, you know, I've started to really get a hang of that. And yeah, we have more. I've got three deadly deities that I'm working on and three more DM helplines. And then we're going to do a couple for October that are horror themed as well. So we're going to expand outside a little bit of DM and, and just in general storytelling as well. So definitely going to be doing more of those. Whether I've got the hang of it or not, well, we'll know in the next couple of uh, next couple of months because either I'll maintain my couple thousand followers or I'll have a lot more than that. So we'll see. Yeah, it's tricky. I feel like there's a mix. Like some people have really heavily curated, produced content and do really well, and then some people it's just whatever comes to their head, and yeah. still they have you know hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah, it's a weird thing. <laughs> it's so weird. I guess I, I have used most major social medias, you know, MySpace yeah. way back in the day. And oh, yeah, right. Anyway, like, yeah, it's it's so different than anything else that I've used. So It really anyway. is. It's not yeah. even like, you know, Vine is probably the closest thing that I ever used right. that was like it, but even, it's even different than that. So yeah, we're in an interesting time in the world in terms of tech, and uh, I love it, but I also don't love it. <laughs> Like anything. It's like any technology. Yeah, it's a two-edged sword. It's a two-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. How you use it is really important. And I think that TikTok is a way to spread awareness and to get someone to laugh are probably the best ways to use it. Yeah, agreed. To round off all of the different kinds of TTRPG content that you create, you also paint minis on stream and you sell uh, some of these minis on Etsy. I know you sell them at, at, or you sold them at markets as well. I've seen you post like, hey, we're we're at this uh, convention or whatever at this booth selling stuff. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. And then for those like me who have never taken the plunge into buying minis, painting minis or printing them, do you have any advice? Yes, my advice is to do it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That's my advice. For me, it started as a hyperfixation. I have ADHD, and so it was something for me to hyperfixate on. I've always wanted to paint and never felt like I could. And finally, it was just like, you know what? I watched a couple of videos by um, Mini Maniac, 
and they made it clear like you just got to pick it up and do it right like there are plenty of youtube videos you can watch uh, lots of people doing this kind of thing but we are in the heyday of miniatures it's no longer pewter you know we're experiencing something called size creep where you know minis were 28 millimeter 32 millimeter now they're around i think the average is like 40 millimeter is the size is the sizing of a, of a mini and mostly so people can paint it right when it's 28 millimeters it's all right i gotta wear like a magnifying glass and try to paint this thing but when it's 40 millimeters it's much easier to paint and so i'm fascinated by technology i have two degrees one in mathematics one in computer science i interned at nasa Tech is my thing. I've worked with a lot of startups. I'm a programmer by trade. I worked in the financial industries for a long time. So new tech is always fun for me. And so when the new MSLA printers came out, which are essentially resin printers, you use a UV resin to create minis at you know scale, almost like an MRI machine where it's layer by layer by layer by layer until you have the full thing. But very, very good detail. My buddy oh has my one. And it's insane the detail he can get on it. Yeah, yeah, the 40 microns, you know, which is like you can't see with the naked eye kind of stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. It's only getting better, right? It's only every year it gets better and better. I got into that and started printing and real, you know, started to learn like, okay, it's not like printing a piece of paper. There's some science to this and there's some work that you have to do in order to do it. And so that's when I realized that it wasn't going to be as popular as I thought it would be, because we haven't yet reached the HP printers in 3D printing just yet. And so I started to realize like, oh, my tech degrees make this a lot easier for me because I've studied some of this kind of concepting and can work with it. And so it was just more of trial and error, you know, basically using the precepts of science that I learned is in college and high school and trial and error and, and really come to it. And then I realized, you know, I could use this skill set on Etsy. Like I could sell these miniatures and not just the miniatures themselves. I also will paint and sell the paints on Etsy as well. And because of the dungeon run, there were plenty of people who would watch me while I would paint and they'd be like, Hey, will you paint my mini? Or oh, I got a mini here. Can you print it for me? And like paint it. And who am I to say no? I was already doing it. So sure, why not? It kind of started to take off a little bit. So Heather and I thought it would be like a really great way to practice for the Dungeon Society and like put a business together, make sure it's functions and works and what we're doing it before we tried to do the Dungeon Society. And so it was successful. And so it led us right into everything we're doing with the Dungeon Society. And I still do it because it's, it's fun, man. It's, you know, I, Early on in the pandemic, we got a large order from someone who was grabbing some minis for their autistic child because this kind of miniatures, there's a lot of tactile benefits for those with autism, which we had never even considered when we were doing it. It was like, oh man, that's incredible. So for us, it was also, it's that. It's like, I realized that for me, being able to hold something that I've created in my hand, own hands brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> Right. I always like did stuff with wood or put together robots or built, you know, before I got into minis, I was doing like custom electronics with lights and building my own things at home, maker content kind of stuff. So minis was just the natural, the natural next step. And I was already DMing a bunch of games and buying a bunch of minis. So it was cheaper for me to print them and paint them myself <laughs> than try to buy them from major companies. So yeah. I figured why not sell those things and let people paint 
And I Xenophil prime them so they look like statues. So even if you don't paint, they're still good for the table because they just look like statues, which is what chess is. So that seems to work out pretty well. Yeah, totally. And the cheaper or the cheapest ones on there are all $3, super affordable. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, if, if you're looking for some really cool ones, go ahead and check Ron's out. What advice do you have if you kind of had to boil down all the advice you've received and that you've kind of thought of yourself about running games into one or two pieces? What would those pieces be for the DMs out there? Don't be afraid to experiment. Know that if you experiment, you're going to fail. Nothing wrong with failing. In fact, some of the best things in the world have come about because someone failed first. As I said earlier in, the, in this interview, failure is an opportunity to grow and to get better. And I feel like if you always succeed, one, I don't think that's really possible to always succeed. Obviously, that's maybe some people have done that. But generally speaking, I think failing is good. It's not bad. It's a good process. It's how you handle the failure and what you do with the failure that determines whether it's good or bad. And so be willing to fail and stick with it. Try, try, try again. That's my parting wisdom is be willing to fail. It's okay if you do. Get feedback. Try something new. Experiment again. Rinse and repeat. I love it. Uh, And, you know, a big reason why I named the show How Not to DM is because even the most seasoned and best DMs out there have screwed up before. In fact, I would say the only reason they became good DMs is because they screwed up. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Thanks so much for joining me, Ron. It's been super fun. We've been chatting here and there uh, about lots of other random stuff um, over the past year or so, I feel. But glad that finally got you on. I'd love to hear uh, about any projects that you want to plug here and also where people can find you on the internet. You can find me pretty much anywhere on the internet where there are people on the internet. Usually my moniker is at the real Rogden, all one word, the real Rogden. You can find me on the dungeon runs Wednesday nights on twitch.tv slash the dungeon run. You can find me the dungeon society.com and you can find me at heroicstory.com where I'm working on a startup to try to introduce 5e as an MMO living campaign where all the choices that players make echo in the world around him. So check Mm. that stuff out. Interesting. Like I said, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, It's been super fun to chat and I know that you are very tired after um, the week that you've had. We talked a little (laughs) bit about that before, so I'll let you go. I'm sure that you are, are ready for bed. So yeah, thanks again, Ron, and really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks, Derek. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's a time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Malcolm, the creator of The Weekly Roll, a D&D-themed webcomic about a chaotic party of adventurers known as the Bucket Brigade. A couple of of uh, strips have been inspired by sort of my own games. I, I think I, usually I mention it in the sort of description, sort of comments underneath it when it is. A couple of them have been sort of things that have happened, you know, in games that I've, that I've been part of. But most of it is just that I've come up with, which also, the, like I said, if I just keep on thinking of new stuff, and that is unfortunately the curse right now because I it just 
constantly. That's what I'm thinking of. Like when I'm just out walking with my wife and she looks at me going, you're thinking about the comic right now, aren't you? But yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, j- I just read about the holders and I think there's a joke in there somewhere. And just, yeah, it just constantly white noise in my head like usually if i'm just like this you could do the comic do the comic oh this this could be a cool arc do this do that imagine what happens if beckett finds a finds a cat what happened then and just yeah it's just <laughs> this a lot in my head right now <laughs> unfortunately to hear more about malcolm's idea process for new strips his dming advice and more tune in next week remember to check out my patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show and share it with your friends and family who play TTRPGs as well. New reviews will be read out at the end of the episode as a thank you. Thank you to the team at T4C Studios, The Dragon, for help editing and producing this episode. As a reminder, if you are a content creator, either podcast or video, check out videoeditors.online or podcasteditors.online as it's the same team who helps produce this show as runs those websites. Another quick reminder before you go, if you could hit up the episode notes or go to my link tree and go follow our project Too Hot One Shot, I know you won't be disappointed. It's going to be a ton of fun and we're launching the Kickstarter very soon. So I want to get as many people paying attention to it and noticing it as possible. Thanks again for your support. I really appreciate it. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat and the Quickfire Chaos mood music that plays underneath while we're roleplaying is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And as always, until next time, roll some Nad 20s for me. <laughs>